I don't know what made me think of that. I don't know. How did I get there? I don't know. Toe tapping, that's what it was. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I, uh, I just want you to know, uh, in my, my, uh, my personal conscience, my personal conviction, obviously is not yours, but I have completely, my wife will attest this, I've completely weaned myself off of any and all TV. Uh, I have uh, no social media. And I even, I'm, I'm even, I, I deleted YouTube uh, from my phone. All I am, all I am now is, if I want to watch something, we stream it. And there's very, very little that I even want to do that. And uh, and I'm reading a lot more. Uh, so I'm still kind of in a, I, I still kind of get the detox, it shakes a little bit for some kind of media, you know, some kind of visual stimulation. Uh, but I'm excited. That's my goal for 2021, is to, to completely wean myself off of any and all media, um, and and just uh, just books. Um, the, having said that, the, before I shut my YouTube off, it was amazing how many. Because I don't. That's that's all I was doing. I I didn't look at anything else. I got off Twitter a long time ago, and, and it was amazing to me how many things I ran across. Uh, pastors and preachers and talking about all that's been going on that we are ripe for the rapture. We're, we're, we, the, the, the conditions are perfect for the Lord to come again. And I got to thinking about that and um, obviously you guys know where I'm coming from theologically but just from a standpoint of it just reminded me how prone we are to be, to be very culturally myopic. And what I mean by that is, um, when it comes to evaluating the day and age in which we live, we have a, we have a hard time, uh, or we have a tendency to just look at our, our little part of the world, United States, Colorado, Aurora, and, and, and we make all of our assessments based on that. And uh, Now, there is no debating that we live and we are living in dark times. There's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt about the fact that maybe we have darker days ahead of us. But if we were to take the, the lenses off, we would see this is really nothing new. Um, there have been dark times before. In fact, every, every time the church goes through dark times, people say, oh, the Lord's coming. It's, he's gonna, uh, and he is going to come someday. We, we affirm that. But we have a tendency to, 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 to base our, 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 um, everything on what we tend to be experiencing here in the United States. Um, for instance, I, I kind of keep, for, for some reason, I have, a, I have a real heart for Iran. And I've been praying for Iran. And, and all the stuff that I've read and have been reading, and God is doing something in Iran. The, the information that does, not, not much information gets out, but what does get out, it, it, it's, they say it's nothing short of a revival in Iran. And, all, and they're all young people. Is, is, that a, is that a dark time? Well, in a sense, yes. I mean, they're under this totalitarian regime. Um, but God is doing something. Uh, it was a very, very dark time when God sent Isaiah to Israel. Uh, if you would now turn, if you would, to Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 9. The historical situation that he was 
called to was to bring charges and messages of judgment to Israel because they were living in such dark times. And Isaiah, acting as a prosecuting attorney for God, declares covenant curses on Israel for their flagrant violations and their covenant obligations. And life in Israel, and when I say Israel, at this, at this point in time, there were still two kingdoms. There was still the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So I'm using Israel not, not, not exclusively for the northern kingdom, but both, both Israel and Judah. And in, in Isaiah chapter 9, he, he comes in the midst of a very dark time. In fact, I probably should have had you... Let's, let's look at the darkness. Uh, turn back to... Let's, I kind of got ahead of myself. Let's go to chapter 1. Because this is really where it starts. Uh, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen to this language. And tell me that these aren't dark times. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That, that, that could be a description of the United States. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not... They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate. It is overthrown by foreigners. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. They have become so bad <laughs> that, that the, God calls them Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you, this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. By the way, this trampling of the courts, the image there is, was when they would herd cattle. You know, they said, your, your, your worship is like a bunch of cattle just trolloping in and out of, of my house. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Verse fourteen, or verse 13, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. So not only... Nationally and culturally were they in a dark time, but spiritually they were in a dark time. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 3. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. 
the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of the fifty, the man of rank, the counselor, the skillful magician and expert in charms. I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow, everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader. <laughs> Incompetent leadership. Verse 8, For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence. For the look on their faces bear witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. If that's not a description of our culture, I don't know what is. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of the deeds. But woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken up. Snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Shouldn't they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And now verse 22. And they will look on the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. We have a tendency to think we're the only ones <laughs> who are experiencing what we're experiencing. In, in the midst of one of the darkest times uh, in, the, in the history of Israel, God sends the prophet Isaiah and tells them that uh, he faces the reality of their darkness, their sin, and their contemptuous uh, lifestyles. There was, no, there was no sticking his head in the sand and saying, it's all going to get, it's all fine, it's all good, God's in control. None of that. It was a dark time. And, and, and I, I, one of the many things I appreciate the Bible is its honesty. That, that, that the Bible and, and in Isaiah, God talks about the reality of darkness, that darkness really entered at the time of the fall. 
humanity was plunged into progressive darkness. That moment when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. I've often heard it, I've read and heard it said that the sin of Adam and Eve was they, they wanted to live independent from God. Now, that, that, now, they rebelled against God. That's different. What kind of darkness do we see in Israel? What kind of darkness do we see in our world? I think that there's several different kinds. There's cultural darkness. When we look at, when we consider these dark times, we, we, we look at from a cultural standpoint. Culturally, these are dark times. When what, should, what people should be ashamed of, they're proud of. When, um, when we uh, have murdered innocent babies for the last, what, 50 years or so? And, and, and we feel no shame as a culture? But, but think about, but you think it's bad now. Think about in the Old Testament. As you read, for those of us who have gone midweek study, we're going to go back into the Old Testament. Um, how many of us ever faced the, 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 the specter of a Babylon, of empires like Babylon and Assyria, and their brutality when cutting off heads and ripping open stomachs was just a way of, uh, of life? That was life back then. It was brutal. It was dark. Hardship. I mean, real poverty. Not poverty we have here. We have relative poverty in the United States. You know, the vast majority of people live under the poverty line in the United States, live in a house and own a car. I'm, I'm, we're talking about abject poverty. Cultural darkness. Moral darkness. Immorality. Again, uh, when, when we take what God calls a perversion... And the highest court in our land, and the highest court in our land says it's protected. These are dark times. No, no darker though than Isaiah's time. The oppression, the injustice—I mean, true injustice, not not this social justice stuff. I'm talking about true injustice, true oppression. I don't think we have an Egypt these days. What about spiritual darkness? Rampant idolatry, false religions. And that was Isaiah's time. So again, guys, we have to, we have to make sure that our sample, um, when we look at what we are facing right now, we look at a little tiny sample of thousands of years that have in the past and perhaps thousands of years in our future, this is a very small sample. Let's, let's pump the brakes on, on the raptures around the corner just because it's so dark. Conditions like this have, have come and gone for centuries. In fact, it's in the, in the midst of this darkness that... 
Isaiah in verse 22 says it's going to get even darker because he is prophesying, in fact, my chapter 8, my Bible has the coming Assyrian invasion. He said, you think it's dark now, just wait till Assyria comes. Does anybody know what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel, of the northern kingdom, when Assyria came? Like that. Never, they were done. In fact, Samaritans were the descendants of the northern kingdom when Assyria came and, and invaded them and, and took them over. They started intermarrying with the northern kingdom. And, and that line produced the Samaritans. And that's why Jews and Samaritans hated each other so much. Darker times were ahead. He, he told them in verse 22, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's in the midst of that, though, we, we come to chapter 9, verse 1. I, 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 my, my sermon title isn't up here, but it's Post Tenebrux Lux. Where's our, where's our Latin expert? Uh, after something light, after darkness light. light. This was a this was a uh, a saying that we had during the Reformation that the reformers used this after darkness light. It really came before the Reformation. It came in Isaiah chapter nine verse one. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with a joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, between 822 and 91, there is a, a great distance. Verse 1 tells us that land, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, um, uh, made glorious by the way of the sea. Zebulun and Naphtali, because of the invading army, Zebulun and Naphtali were in the northern part of Israel, the, the farthest northern part of Israel. So when the Assyrian army came, both Assyria and Babylon, they came along what's called the Fertile Crescent. They, would, they didn't go directly east, they would come up along the Fertile Crescent, and then they would invade from the north. And obviously the first tribes who would face this this onslaught of Assyria would be the northern tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. They, they, these were the most, the, the farthest outlying areas. And, and by the way, they, they would bear the brunt of the invasion and they would also be the last to experience relief as well. 
In verse 3, he uses the personal pronoun, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. And when he's talking about a person, he's talking about a coming deliverer. He said, the people have walked in darkness, have seen a great light. He's talking about Zebulun and Naphtali. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Keep your marker here and turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we have confirmed for us who he's talking about. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when he had heard that John, he, Jesus, had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and and shadow of death or deep darkness, on them light has dawned. So in in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 and 3, who is this prophecy about? It's about Jesus. In, In verse 4 he talks about their future deliverance, likened to the victory of Gideon. Gideon, if, if you remember when we went through Judges, Gideon freed the northern tribes of Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And light was a big part of that victory over Midian. If you remember, he had the jars and then they all had torches. Remember God went through that whole thing of, they had like 10,000 warriors and God says, too many. Too many. Send half home. Send half home. Too many. Send them down to drink. Those who lap like dogs, send them home. Keep. What, they got down to what? 50 people? 50 soldiers? Something like that? What's that? 300. 300. And, he, and, he, and, he, and he, then he gives them these instructions to hold a, a jar and a torch. And then at the right time, they were to break the, to break the jars and hold forth their tor- torch, probably, presumably to give the impression that there were more of them than the, I don't know. But there was light. And he said, just like Midian freed Naphtali and Zebulun and Asher, so this deliverer will bring light to this region. In fact, he says, all traces of conflict will cease. They'll vanish. He talks about these uh, the, every boot, the trampling warrior, every garment. We'll, we'll, we're not needed anymore. We're going to burn them as fuel for the fire. And then that great promise for uh, to us a child is born. This child that was mentioned in, in chapter seven. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. A child and a son, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These names describe the power and the majesty of this new king that we now know as Jesus. In verse 7 we see the extent and the nature of his reign. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time, from this time forth and forevermore. From the time that he comes, from the time that the light dawns forevermore. 
And not just forevermore, but this time, when He comes. I want us to, to camp on these two verses, on verse 2 and verse 7. In, in this dark world, in that dark world, a light would come and a light came that would forever change the course of the world. I want you to notice in verse 2 the nature of the light. He said it's a great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light shine on them. Now, here's what I want you, here's what I want you to... Here's, we'll flesh this out as we go, but here's what I want you to take away from this. If we were to turn all the lights off in this room and, and walk over, and I had Bob go and turn them all off. I don't want you to do Bob, but if I did that, and then flip a light switch on, light would instantaneously... Flood this whole room. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Because I see things like increasing. That's one way that light can be shed on something. But I want you to imagine instead a sunrise. When does the sun rise? Well... If you look on your app, you know, it'll tell you a, a time. The sun rises at 6.37. Does that mean that you go instantaneously from dark to light at 6.37? No. As the sun begins to rise, you, there, there's some light. Um, it gets lighter. Uh, it, the sky gets a little lighter. And, and it progressively becomes lighter. And, and then the sun, you know reaches over the horizon and it's even brighter and, 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 and you, you know that you, you follow it around to midday and it's in midday it's, it's, it's bright it, it's, it's, uh, it, is, it is flooding everything this is what I think is what John was talking about if you turn to John chapter 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The sun has risen... And it will continue to rise. And as it rises, it overcomes the darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome the sun. Darkness doesn't overcome the light. The the testimony of Scripture is that when Jesus came, a great light came into the world. And that, that that light would subdue, would eventually subdue, progressively subdue the darkness. In fact, he says in Isaiah, there would be no end to the increase. Now, in the church, there are two competing visions regarding this. Um, two competing visions regarding our world and its future. Uh, the, the fancy word, as we call it, eschatology, end times. Two different visions, two competing visions. The one is what I call a pessimistic eschatology. This believes that the darkness that we have in our world will 
continue to increase. And there'll be more and more darkness and more and more darkness. And the darkness will eventually overcome the light. It will increasingly overcome the light and God will come rescue us. When things get so bad and get so dark, that's one vision. I don't think that's what Isaiah is talking about. That's not the picture that Isaiah gives us. In fact, I would argue that's not the picture the Bible gives us. I hear it time and time again. Things are going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Say, look at what's going on. You know, we look at what's going on in, in America and Aurora and Denver. Well, look at what's going on. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, are we saying that are we saying that darkness is going to overcome the light? So here's what we say. Well, no, ultimately, the light wins out. God wins because we all go to heaven. That's not what Isaiah is saying. The other vision is, I guess, would be what I call optimistic eschatology. This is the answer that, that, that the light, the darkness will never overcome the light. The light will become, will increase more and more and more. Um, John 1 5, the darkness has not overcome it. Now, let, let me ask you a question. Would you rather live now as a Christian? Would you, would you rather be alive now or 500 years ago? What, what, what? Well, it would depend on where you're living. You, uh, pick one. Anywhere in the world 500 years ago. How many of you would pick that over to where you are now? Okay, what about 500 years ago or to 1,000 years ago? Or 1,500 years ago? 1,500 years ago, how many believers were there in the world? More or less than there are today? Much less. Uh, I read a guy, he said, because we, we're, we're talking about progress and, and light, increasing light on all, all levels, spiritual level, cultural levels. We don't have empires anymore. We don't have Babylons anymore. We don't have Assyria anymore. We don't have Egypt anymore. In fact, Dan and Cindy been to Egypt. I don't think they're going to be a big threat right now. <laughs> From what you told me, they're, they're a squalor. Like a third word, am I right? We, we don't see, again, the, the Bible doesn't seem to indicate things are going to get worse, 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 worse. I'd rather be alive now than 500 years ago, and certainly 1,000 years ago, certainly 15. I don't see it getting worse. Just, just anecdotally, it's not getting worse. It's getting better. But scripturally, when you look at what the Bible teaches about light and darkness, are we really willing to say that this side of glory, that darkness will eventually consume the light? Or will progressively consume the light that came into this world? It doesn't mean that there won't be ebbs and flows of darkness in various places and at various times. Just like our individual sanctification, our individual growth, 
We like to think that we come to know Christ here and our growth is like this. But what in reality is it? But the general trend is sanctification. The general trend is more light. The general trend is, is closer to Him. Turn back to Matthew 28. Let me ask you another question. See, I'm, what I'm arguing for here today, guys, is perspective. Perspective. Theological perspective. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did God tell us to go? Trick question, Ruth. Be careful. Did God tell us go? No. He said, therefore, go. That therefore is very important here. He didn't just say go. He said, therefore, go. Therefore, what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. God has designs for this earth. In fact, the designs are what? That what? To make disciples of all nations. Except governments. Just people, but not governments. Is that, is that what, we, what he means? Or does he mean governments too? Nations. Teaching them to obey. Now here's my question. Will that happen? Will that happen? Would God give us a mission that he, that he go, you know what? I know you're not, it's not going to be possible because things are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. They're going to get so bad that I'm going to have to come airlift you out of this place. Is that, is that what he meant when he gave us this great commission? Or did he give us this great commission knowing that this is something that was going to actually happen? How dare we take a look at our world and say, that could never happen. I can't ever see that happening. How dare we ever say that? Make make disciples of all nations. Did God give us this knowing that it would never or could never be achieved? He's going, you know, in, in the Trinity... You know, they're not going to pull this off because, man, Satan, man, he, darkness is, is going to eventually extinguish the light. Or is this the outworking of Isaiah 9-7? With the increase of his government, there will be no end. The inc- May I insert, the increase of his messianic kingdom, there will be no end. And for those, of, those that are dispensational... And they believe this is just talking about the millennial, a literal thousand years of millennial kingdom. If it could happen then, why can't it happen before then? Unless we say that the darkness will overcome the light.
What do we, what do we walk away? Let me tell you what I walk away with Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 with. I, I can face the present with realism. Obviously, it's hard for me, hard for us, to view our world through any prism other than where God has planted us, the day and age and place that God has planted us. So on one level, this is all that we have, we, but we have to recognize that, that this is a very small sample. But there's darkness nonetheless. We're not Buddhists. We're not trying to de- detach ourselves. We're not saying that it's all an illusion. This is, we are living in dark times, and I suspect that there'll be much darker Coming upon us. That, that we face the present with realism, the reality of darkness. But my responsibility to that is not to say, well, God's in control and, you know, whatever, whatever will happen will happen. Is, is that my relationship to the darkness? Uh, we, Wednesday nights, we, we've been going through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse eight. For at that time you at that time when we were sons of disobedience, at that time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead, what? Expose them. What are the unfruitful deeds? What are some unfruitful deeds? Do we think that's limited to sexual, well, sexual immorality, drunkenness? Yeah, I mean that. It's getting that. You know, I don't hang around with. People who smoke and drink. And... Might, might I ask us to consider that what we are experiencing right now are the unfruitful works of darkness. The tyranny. The overreach. A government and governors who are drunk with power, who are, made, who are dictating mandates that they know are, are not enforceable. And, and, and we're going to talk about this in two weeks, when historically, it was from the pulpits of the churches in America that the government was challenged for its tyranny. It came from the pulpits. It came from the churches. And now the church is silent. Worse yet, compliant. At some point we're going to talk about the covenanters in, in, in Scotland and John Knox and even the early church in America and their doctrine of the lesser magistrate. That they understood, our founders understood the fact that man is wicked and evil and needed checks and balances. And that what we have today is not even close to what the founders envisioned. We, we, we today say, well, you know, the Supreme Court said it, so it's the law of the land, so I have to do it. 
that's not what our founders, that is not the vision of our founding fathers. That is not the law of the land. The Supreme Court decisions are not the law of the land. And what we need are lesser magistrates to stand up and defy them. But instead, what we have is we've got this pathetic pietism in the church that says, all I'm just going to do is be just, be, just read my Bible and, and pray and someday I'll be in heaven. We need to face the present with realism. And he says, not only do we not participate in the fruitless deeds, but we expose them. We defy them. Number two, we face the future with optimism. We do all of this with optimism and confidence. Knowing that the darkness will never overcome the light. Uh, One last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 24. Then comes the end. 1 Corinthians 15 is indeed talking about what we normally call the second coming, the the, the final coming, the the final judgment, because there are no time texts here. It's, 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 It's indefinable. And in fact, he's talking about resurrection. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Every rule, every authority, every power has been destroyed before what? Before he hands it over to the Father. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Save one. The last enemy is death. Some, some positions basically says death has to go first. And then he destroys all the rule and power and authority. And he said, no, he does that first. And then he hands it over to the king. At the, at, at the glorious second coming and the consummation of ages, that's when he has ultimately destroyed every power and authority. And he hands that to the Father. That's not things are getting worse and worse and worse. That is victory. That is overcoming. That is no end to his government. And his rule and his reign. Uh, in, in closing, let me say this. For a long time, I always thought that hell was going to be filled with countless... Gaz- Is there a word gazillion? Just a little minuscule in heaven. Because I had this proof text. You know, Remember Matthew and Jesus said, narrow is the gate, wide is the way. You know, that, that all that. You know, There's only going to be a little bit of people in heaven bunch of people in hell. God took the first, and this is not scripture, I'm just thinking through this stuff. God took the first what? How many thousands of years from the time of creation to the time Jesus came? Okay, let's give him six. So, six thousand years of basically no gospel. Some people came to know the Lord in the Old Testament. They did. But it was not not the day of salvation. The gospel hadn't come yet. How many Canaanites died and went to hell? Virtually all of them. Hittites. Uh, Okay, you you see what I'm saying. So now, Jesus comes, dies on the cross, 
rises again, ascends to the Father, and we're going to wrap all this up in 2,000 years. 2,000 years. When we had six or 7,000 years of darkness and death. I, I, would, I would play this with me. Wouldn't you like to believe? Wouldn't, wouldn't you really rather like to believe that there's going to be at least as much time to fill up heaven as there was time to fill up hell? Even if you don't buy it. You're looking at verses, and you're, I know you're thinking of verses that, 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 that prove me wrong. And Can we just say this before we leave? Wouldn't you like that to be true? Doesn't that seem to be more consistent with grace and gospel and Guys, let's take a deep breath. Yes, we face, realistically, we face dark times. But listen, if God, if God doesn't have to wrap this thing up anytime soon, this could be a minor blip on, on, on the timeline of history. You and I in this room may never see it. My children may never see the light eventually overcoming, completely overcoming, high noon. I don't know where we are in the sun rising. I don't know where we are in God's timetable. But before we start uh, packing our bags, so to speak, well, let's face this darkness. Let's expose it. Um, let, let's not have any, anything to do with it. Let's expose the unfruitless deeds of darkness. Let's defy the unde- Let's defy tyranny. Let's defy sin. But do it with confident optimism, knowing we win. And, I, and it's not just a we win because we get to go to heaven. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We can face. The years, guys, coming up, and, and again, a couple weeks we're going to talk more about this. God's up to something. He's up to something. But in the meantime, we face it with realism, but we face it with optimism. As I, as I prayed earlier, the early church overcame Rome. <laughs> the church defeated Rome without a single shot. Did they face dark times? Nero was covering them in wax and setting them on fire. He was dressing up in animal skins. They called him the beast. He was dressing up in animal skins and he'd put them on a big stake and he'd try to eat their flesh. If there was ever a time when I'd say, boy, this, this sure looks like this is the time for Jesus to come. It was horrible. It was dark. It was atrocious. But look at over the last 2,000 plus years, look, look, at, look at what God has done. I, I, can, I can foresee a time when Iran will be a Christian nation. And if you can't see that, then you probably hold the pessimistic. Did you, ever, did you ever envision Israel signing peace accords with Bahrain, Kahrain, Qatar, whatever? Four, four of them? Did you ever imagine the, the Iron Curtain going down literally overnight? 
You see, guys, we, we need to be careful that our perspective is not such a small sample. It's such a culturally small, culturally myopic sample that we forget about that the scriptures says that he will make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And you say, that'll never happen. Look at the world. I call that unbelief. Let's face the future with realism. We live in corrupt, fraudulent times. But we need to face with optimism. Knowing that the light or the darkness will not overcome the light. In heaven and on earth. Let's pray. Father... I, uh, I pray that we would not be passive, that we'd not um, be defeatist, but Father, we'd be optimistic. Yes, it seems as though um, darkness has the upper hand, but it doesn't have the final hand. Who knows what you're doing, Father? Who knows what good is going to come out of all that has been going on in our world? Our job is to trust you. Our job is to make sure that we don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but they would continue to expose them and defy them. Father, pray that as we as believers in Jesus Christ, with reverence and with respect, that we would provide the hope that we have. And Lord, that you indeed, as we participate and as we, um, we may never see it, but Lord, the fact when you indeed, when the light will totally consume the darkness. What a glorious time that will be. We thank you. We pray all these things in the name of the one who made it all possible, who changed the course of human history. His name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands? Thank you for your patience.